and welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I am senior marketing reporter Kamika McCoy. And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor. Kaylee, I have started a New Year's resolution given we're only, what, two or three weeks in and I've given up sugar. I've given up the occasional happy hour drink. And by sugar, I mean like cakes and cookies. You know, I'm not giving up white bread. That, that seems we're pushing it too far at that point. Right. I've also given up social media. Have you taken any New Year's resolutions? First of all, giving up sugar is very impressive. I I can't go more than a day without some sort of like reward for being <laughs> an adult. Yes, uh, an adult treat of some sort. Um, and often it is sugar-based. Um, in terms of like resolutions, I think it's just really getting back into a routine for me because I like the pandemic really messed me up where I will often roll out of bed and start work. You know what I mean? Like mm. there's no morning routine. There's not anything that gets my blood pumping before, you know, the first slacks of the day. Um, so I'm trying to get back into like, I don't know, having just like the morning to be a human. Like, and I have not done this yet. It's January 19th. I have not officially done this yet. But I do want to keep my phone away from, like, my bed area. And, like, mm. I don't know. Maybe go back to, like, an old alarm clock or, like, have my alarm going off, like, in another room so I have to get up and go get it. You know what I mean? So that's something I'm, like, toying with. I know this is a little late to the game because it is no longer January 1st. But <laughs> I feel like this, the month of January, you could really get into resolutions um, and – you know, it, it still counts. Um, in terms of social, I gave up TikTok like over a year ago. I think I deleted it from my phone like in February 2023. Really? Yeah. I have it. I guess I redownloaded the app and I check it like once every few weeks just to see like who sent me messages. Often it's just my sister sending me like videos. Um, but also for like work stuff, if I have to like look up a company's like profile to see like what they're doing there. Um, but I had to straight up delete it because it was an addiction for me. That said, I have supplemented that with uh, Instagram Reels. So I'm, <laughs> I am kind of bordering um, – the need to delete that as well. But I, I, I do love my Instagram. So I don't, I'm curious to see how, how it goes for you. Cause I, I might have to follow in your footsteps right now. I'm not there. Yeah. I also deleted TikTok. Um, and then I started to supplement it with reels and I said, Oh my God, Oh my God, this is just, it's happening all over again. Um, so I'm trying, I'm working on it. We'll see by February 1st where, where I'm at, but a great segue, because for this week's episode, you talked to Chris Anthony, CRO of Gallery Media Group, uh, which owns PureWow, 1.37 p.m., and 70-plus social channels, um, social handles, excuse me. And TikTok Shop is a big part of what they do. So talk a little bit about what you guys discussed uh, in your conversation. Yeah. So Gallery Media Group is really interesting because they have, like, they're a traditional publisher in, like, the, you know, they own digital brands in that sense. They also have, like, a big influencer. Um, network or like creator network that they use in a lot of different ways. So like we talk about how they're, you know, leaning on events and like their experiential business to really incorporate, um, you know, social production there and make the assets for sponsors be like super long lasting beyond the confines of event. Like that's kind of how we kick off the conversation. But because I'm not on TikTok, I am like painfully unaware of the changes that have been happening over there. And like, I have now fallen off the bandwagon of knowing the trends and stuff. So like, I 
am very brand new baby to like TikTok shop. I don't know what it is. So thankfully, Chris and Gallery Media Group has been experimenting there. And like while it's kind of like a, you know, experimental phase, like immaterial to like their total commerce revenue, he does a very good job of explaining kind of like what the heck's happening there and like what the like like they're a partner with it. So like what the like kind of dynamics are as a, a publisher showing up in that space. This conversation was very illuminating for me because of my res- resolution from last year. But it is fascinating to see how some of these like, you know, social things are starting to work um, in a commerce area, which historically have been pretty not segmented, but there wasn't a very good kind of through line for publishers, especially trying to make commerce revenue on social. So this is a very positive first step. And it was a really interesting conversation. With no further ado, I will let you and Chris get to it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks, Kaylee. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to chat with you. So there are a few topics that uh, we want to go over in this conversation, but I wanted to start out with Gallery Media's approach to experiential because we chatted a little bit about this at the end of last year. I know events is a huge focus for a lot of publishers, the like revenue potential, but also just the ability to convene audiences again, convene sponsors to have those face-to-face moments. It's a very big focus for 2024. And you guys are kind of approaching events a little bit differently than I've heard other publishers talk about it. One, because you guys are, you know, coming from a very like youthful, young audience perspective, but also like the ability to have the sponsors have that face-to-face with your audience is so interesting. And then main making those moments last a lot longer outside of the event itself. So I know I've just rambled, but if you could maybe start out by talking a little bit about like what your events business looks like and how you're kind of rethinking this the model a little bit in 2024. Yeah, I love talking about experiential because to your point, it's such fodder that's happening in the industry, but it's such a big, important part of our business. I think that we're past the point, right, of talking about post-COVID, everyone is excited to get together again. I think we've hopefully have moved past that notion. And it's just more that experiential is really important and actually works really well when it's done correctly. And that's a big belief that we have. And I think that, you know, we've done events for the last few years, but last year was a really, really new sort of turning the page on how we're thinking about experiential. And for us, we're thinking about it through this new lens of events for content and how we think about that as events and experiential is expensive. It's expensive for marketers. It's a lot of work. And we know that For the last two years, the economy has changed. The industry has become much more scrutinizing on budgets. And we want to be able to listen to our clients while building this experiential practice in a big way. But how do we actually make it really thoughtful for brands? And that's why I think the strategy of events for content is thinking through that in a really, really big way. So our approach, we rolled out a new IP called Gallery House. And that really gives us this flexibility to be in really amazing places and spaces last year and into this year and really bring this events for content experience to life. And how we're thinking about that is a couple different ways. We're thinking about how do we really lean into creators and influencers and talent that's been a really big core tenant of our business for many years, and how do we bring that to life? And then thinking about cultural moments, we know that the culture calendar continues to change, but there's some that are there, have been there for many years, and then there's new ones that pop up. So 
Last year, we kicked off in the Hamptons and for a full month in August where we took over an amazing house, private residence with incredible creators. We partnered with, you know, over 30 brands throughout that entire month. And that was Gallery Beach House and really the inception of designing this experience over 30 days with incredible creators and brands. And at the end of that month, we really walked away with over 2,000 pieces of content that brands were able to say at the end of that 30 days, did I buy an amazing experience or did I buy a content experience at scale that I was able to really drive and readjust this ROI through that experience? And that was incredibly successful for that entire month of August. And then we continued that momentum into Art Basel in December, at the end of 2023, because Art Basel, I think, is a great example of a moment that has really changed in the last few years. It's, I think it's less about that insider art community and more so about this broader curiosity of innovation and art and marketing altogether. And going into next year, that'll continually focus into amazing places like South By, Coachella, Stagecoach, F1, being back in the Hamptons, and Basel. So this amazing sort of collision of creators, programming on the ground, and then really at the core of all of that is how do we use these experiences for content at scale for our brands? And so a lot to get into within that. And I definitely want to talk about like what the kind of sponsor experience is, you know, when they come into the house and they think they're getting the experiential, but they walk away with so much more. I do want to get into that. But first, I think it's also and I probably should have started the conversation here, give some background on where like the brands under Gallery Media's portfolio and the house of, um, the Gallery House has evolved from some of these larger like brand specific large scale house events that have experienced, uh, that have taken place in previous years. I remember covering 1.37 p.m.'s uh, club in New York and then um, House of Wow also had a, a longer kind of few months long ex brand experience as well. So there's the brands in your portfolio that have evolved into this larger house model for your events. Um, maybe an overview of gallery media just to kind of lay the land for our listeners and then we can dive into the more impact that long tail experiences have had for your business. Yeah. So gallery media group, when we think about the business, we think about it in four different ways. One, the, our core publisher, so Pure Wow, massive women's lifestyle brand that's, you know, 13 plus years old, 137 p.m., which is really a, an amazing sort of youth culture brand focusing on all things emerging. And then we have over 70 social first brands that have really intentional focuses that live on TikTok and Instagram and really are social first in nature. We have a big influencer business and talent business. So think anybody from a nano micro influencer up to an A-list celebrity. So that's a, there's a big team that's dedicated to creating partnerships around that. Um, we have a social creative business. So because of our authority and social first, we do a lot of creative and social distribution work specifically for brands. And then we have a podcast portfolio. So we have the number one CMO podcast, um, as well as an amazing, obsessive, um, royally obsessed culture podcast as well. So definitely content first, but, you know, very much social at its core. Got it. Yeah. And so again, I think it was maybe 2022, I was talking with, I think, Ryan uh, on your team. And then I'm trying to remember who all I spoke with about this, but it was like this idea at the time that there was a large investment in getting into long-term event models where it kind of covers the overhead of, you know, a pop-up situation. Like, like you said, events are expensive to put on. So there was this like idea of like, let's create a clubhouse for 1.37 PM that can 
exist for a long period of time in one space and have sponsors kind of come in and out throughout that time. Um, you you know, kind of, again, remove the overhead, offer more experience uh, or opportunities for sponsor revenue. And then you also have like the audience piece of it, like a, a in-person kind of pop-up. That model has, to your point, expanded to these gallery houses that pop up at like larger events and the beach house, you know, had the same model, 30 sponsors coming in over a a long period of time. Um, So that model itself, I think is like starting to catch a little bit of fire for some publishers. Like very few, I think have like a permanent event space or a long term setup like that, but it is a idea I'm hearing more about. You guys have been doing it for a couple of years or a couple different iterations. So how does that model kind of achieve the goals that you set to prove out with that? Like what is the realistic piece of operating a longer term event model to that nature? I feel like there has to be a better word for it. I just keep kind of throwing a lot of buzzwords together. But like this this idea, like how is the operations of it mm-hmm. in functionality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, to your point, we had started really sort of building that longer term, deeper connection experiential with 137 PM's Clubhouse. And then we did House of Wow in Tribeca and, and saw that to your point of that longer time investment allows a couple things, right? It allows that longer time partnership with brands um, versus that one day type of takeover. It allows us also, you know, to be able to optimize the experience, really take learnings and insights and evolve that experience as the time goes on. And then again, sort of going back to this whole events for content strategy, when we're setting these up, we want to be able to use these spaces as a really a studio to create content for our brands, but more importantly for our partners' brands. So in that, you you really need the time, right? You need the time to not just capture content that's happening around something like Coachella, but you need that to set that up for any type of culturally relevant content that's popping on TikTok that we want to capture and really be able to insert our brands in that conversation. So when we're thinking about these, yes, we're thinking about what's happening on Saturday during the sponsored event, but we're also thinking about all the opportunities throughout that entire day that we're going to be able to capture really amazing content for our partners that we can give that back to them. And again, really allow them to look at the ROI for the experience in a different way. So that longer time investment in these spaces allows us to really, really, I think, bring that events for content strategy to life in a major way. And so I think like the idea of digital amplification around events isn't necessarily like new, but the way that you kind of are approaching it based on how we've talked about it before and like what you're saying now is like, it's about extending beyond like Coachella branding, right? It's about going beyond like, yeah, this brand's at Art Basel. It's like looking for those opportunities for them to say like, we have a campaign that we can use next spring, or we have like some uh, takeaway that has value outside of like this one moment, right? Like how are you, like what are, like what does a sponsor come in with and then like walk away with too? Because I'm curious like what the, like what they think they're getting in like point of sale to like yeah. Actually, the ROI is so much bigger. Yeah, it's it's a really thoughtful process. I think we place the same amount of sort of operational thinking on the actual event execution as the content piece. And I think a couple examples of that, of course, to your point, we're going to, if we're thinking about Coachella or Basel, we're going to create content that's you know relevant to Basel or Coachella, that's going to live on our social, that's going to be able to live on the brand socials, what have you. 
But the really interesting part is how we're going to be able to use those backdrops for other things, right? And it's leaning into some of those things that we know are trending on TikTok, right? Things like girl dinner or other different types of tropes that have happened maybe in the last few months. And how do we lean into some of those moments, right? If we're in the kitchen in some of these houses and we're going to bring in a CPG partner that just wants to really create relevant social content that's going to be able to be lived a month after this or three weeks after. So again, I think us being such practitioners from a culture perspective on social allows us to not look at this experience of just what's happening at Basel or Coachella, but what else can we use and extract from the backdrop in order to get back to our brand? So it's very deliberate in the sense that whenever we're onboarding a partner to these events, we're understanding what they want to accomplish from a ground perspective, the fabrication, what does that experience look like? But then to your point, what else do they want to accomplish from a campaign perspective? What's their deficit from a content standpoint? What do they need after this event from a content standpoint? So really ingesting all those insights and then giving all that content back to them, giving them the insights for what to do with that type of content as well is really a big part of that. And I think, again, you know, we have this big belief that, you know, we live in this attention economy, right? There's so much out there to figure out how to navigate, but there's still not enough content um, the way the algorithms work. So we know that brands still have a major deficit for content. So we think this is also really helping them at the right cost as well. So very intentional process. Um, and there's a million examples of how, again, we've sort of been able to extract these really unique values beyond just what's happening at that cultural moment event. Because it does, like, again, like really rely on, your expertise as a social, like, forward publisher, but also blends the event's appeal that, again, like, so many sponsors are really desiring this year. How has that changed either your pricing structure or your revenue potential for, like, an events business? Um, And I guess in general, like, the willingness for advertisers to pay for that much more value, right? Like ROI is a big point of focus for them. Um, but like, what is that doing for like our, the revenue piece yeah. of the equation? Yeah, I think, you know, we're expecting our business experiential to represent 10 to 15% of our revenue. We saw a significant increase last year with this new model. And I think we'll continue to see that. I think that given that, you know, experiential for so long has been hard to measure, the, you know, the measurement conversation that exists in any awareness play is always challenging. And I think this model allows us to give actual better data to our clients to make the justification for doing events. I think that any smart marketer is excited about experiential and they understand they have to be at these culturally relevant moments. But sometimes, it, you know, it, it's hard getting buy-in from the CFO or anyone that's sort of holding that budget. So I think we're doing a good job of helping keep the premium on these experiences, but really allow them to actually have a better way to justify that ask. And again, going back to that content piece where they can justify that we're buying Coachella, we're buying Art Basel, we're buying the Hamptons, but in return, we're getting way more content than we would if we were just buying a pure play content buy from a publisher X or Y. So I think it's really us helping arm the data to really navigate that measurement conversation that always comes up, you know, in any awareness conversation with our marketing partners. Yeah, absolutely. Data, KPI, like it just seems like it's such a critical piece of, again, proving out that investment is 
has a worthwhile return. Um, I want to get into your kind of influencer like network and and how. Well, I guess I'm curious. Does that piece kind of tie into it? Like, is your network coming to these events to help create content in the moment, or is it very much like an editorial? Well, not editorial, but like a like your in-house team creating these moments for brands when they're in like the beach house, for example. Like, what's the kind of content creation strategy that you're approaching with and how it ties into your, you know, creator network if it does. Yeah. It, it definitely it's definitely a very big piece of that. I think that, you know, for many years GMG had been very focused on the influencer space. And we know obviously that continues to be a major focus. I think I just read something the other day by 2032, influencer marketing is going to represent almost $200 billion. So that channel obviously continues to grow and grow, right? So for us, it's nothing new that influencers are important. So when we think about this experiential business, it's a mix, right, where we'll have paid influencers that will be there as part of some of our partnerships. And then our talent and our influencer team is curating amazing creators that are not, that are there really experiencing the houses, experiencing the cultural moment. And going back to our earlier point, the longer sort of time investment allows those sort of unpaid organic talent that they're naturally colliding in and interacting with some of these partners as well. So we've been able, just based on our many years of relationships with the talent community, has allowed us to bring in some incredible people and names into some of these houses, you know, just to name some of them. They've been anywhere from Caleb Simpson, the TikTok influencer, does an incredible house tour. So he made, obviously, a great intentional sense for joining some of these. And then some amazing music artists like Victoria Monet and DJ Vashti and people that are majorly nominated artists that are in that emerging space as well. Um, so definitely the creators and influencers are a critical piece of this content creation model. And, you know, our teams that, again, really understand sort of who are those people right now that make sense from an emerging standpoint, and then who are those people that are the right people, um, we'll, we'll make sure that we're all sourcing all of that alongside the editorial side and alongside our brand partners. So your events are like invite only in that nature, like you make sure you have a solid kind of group of influencers, I guess I'll, I'll just say that word again, but like the, like it's it, an invite only model versus like a, a ticketed event where your audience like can kind of just come in if they want to experience the house, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the model is very curated in that sense that, you know, we, we've seen over, you know, 2000 different creators and influencers and athletes and artists that have come through our, you know, two houses between beach and art house. So that number will continue to grow, but, but very curated from our internal talent and influencer team. Got it. And so this year you mentioned a few major events that the house is going to be showing up at, right? So you're kind of increasing the frequency of having the house, um, pop up and be at like major moments. I think like Coachella, you mentioned, obviously, Formula One, uh, returning to Art Basel, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll be at six houses this year. Um, Basel again, Hamptons as well. Festival season, we know, continues to be, obviously, a great backdrop for Gen Z and, and young millennials, and obviously, soon, Gen Alpha. And I think that's one that we are really focusing on in a big way. And then Stagecoach is one of those where we think is an amazing emerging festival that will have much more importance over the next couple of years. And we saw such success um, in social the last few years with that. So that's one we're excited about. And F1 is another one that 
you know, continues, I think, just to be this exciting new moment in, in the experience arena. So that's one that we're excited to be at as well um, amongst, you know, other others. But six we've committed to this year. I'm sure something will change in culture that will add to that calendar. But I think that we're, we're continually evolving and growing these houses. And, and the model will still be very, very much focused around that events for content. But again, it just sort of will change based on the adjacent cultural moment that we'll be living alongside. Is that your, I guess, like main focus for experiential this year? Or are you also looking at, um, you know, kind of custom events for like, you know, one-off sponsors or uh, non-house related events like around a specific like, you know, 1.37 p.m. or uh, specifically around like Pure Wow, for instance? Yeah, I think that we'll definitely, there'll be opportunities where we'll create bespoke experiences for brands based on specific initiatives. And I think one of the great things about the house is because of the IP Gallery House, it allows us to bring our brands there as well, right? So they're agnostic in nature in the sense that 1.37 p.m., can be there creating content, showing up from their voice perspective where it makes sense, whether that's through sports or music. Pure Wow can show up there from wellness and other lifestyle categories. So they allow our own owned and operated brands to really be there. Um, but yes, definitely we'll be, I'm sure, adding to the calendar of other bespoke experiences as well. Definitely experiential is constantly in our language on a day-to-day basis at GMG. I think it's also interesting because, you know, for such a long time, like social and like online audiences and communities were such the focal point, obviously, because you couldn't meet in person. But it's like an interesting kind of joining together of like bringing like in-person pop-ups back into a very like virtual kind of relationship that a lot of brands have created with their audiences. And so getting into like the social piece of the equation, because so many changes happened last year with like how social media platforms are operating. There's been a huge push to keeping users, viewers, audiences, whatever on the platform versus like sending them, you know, to a link or, you know, off platform. Like the the big focus is just keeping users scrolling, right? How have, like, given you have what, 70, 80 brands that are like social first or like were built on TikTok or Instagram, like how has that shift in algorithm affected your business if it has, or does that kind of work for you guys because you have such a strong presence on social? Yeah. Yeah. To your point, you know, the, the algorithms are constantly changing. Right. And I think a lot of publishers for so long have used the social platforms as more of a referral source or how to amplify what they're doing. And I think for us, when we look at our really wide portfolio of the 70 plus brands, and we focus on really on three of them in a major way that I can talk about, but because those completely live on social, they were built there. They understand the algorithms and there's no intention of driving someone somewhere else or amplifying content from somewhere else. We always really understood the algorithm. I think that, you know, TikTok changed everything, right? And short form video and understanding that it's all about volume, that creating more content and experimenting on that platform in a major way is really going to sort of drive your For You page and sort of where you end up there. So for us, we've always been a practitioner of these platforms and that allowed us to sort of navigate the algorithm changes in a much in a much better way, in my opinion, than a lot of publishers that really only saw those as amplification sources. So there's a number of ways of how you have to understand that, right? You have to understand 
the features that are happening on TikTok and on Instagram Reels and how you're leaning in there, whether that's the green screen effect or that's understanding how to duet and stitch when that was first taking off and being really intentional about what does organic native content look like to the platforms. So I would say when the algorithms changed, we were in a great position because we we started with them, right? And that really allowed us to really navigate in the right way and experiment and learn and, and make the right moves in all the platforms and sort of be able to see always sort of what was next. Yeah. And so what about for your like dot coms too, like pure wow, right? Like I know you guys have a pretty significant audience on your dot coms. Like have there been any changes in your audience getting to your website or if you've been kind of shifting back towards the like focus on socials versus trying to drive them to dot com? Like has there been any kind of shifts there that are noticeable or change the way you approach, you know, these kind of more traditional brands that you have in your portfolio? Yeah, I'd say, you know, the the social first changes, you know, us owning at recipes, at moms and at cocktails, that the strategy of keeping those users in that community social first is always is the focus on that end. On on the Pure Wow and the 137 side that are more in, you know, the traditional publisher sense for that, I think Again, it's taking those learnings and insights from those social-born brands and applying that there, right? And I think some of that is we understood that the primary platform on Meta was going to be real. So how are we really doubling down on creating more reels for 137 and Purell in a major way? Thinking about how do we use TikTok and, and those features that I talked about a little bit earlier as well. So I think it's taking the insights from the socially-born portfolio and then really applying that to that business as well. It, you know, it's definitely different in the sense that we, we definitely still use that as sometimes of a referral source as well, whether that's from a commerce standpoint of using Instagram stories or whether that's amplifying something that we're doing on .com to our social. But I think it's a mix of taking those learnings and applying that back to the, the Pure Wow brand and the 137 brand, where, you know, years before it would have been the reverse, where you're sort of adopting what's happening on .com and translating that into social. So so it's an interesting trend that I think we have a leg up of having that social born portfolio that allows us to use that as an insight engine to inform other parts of our business that aren't socially born. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, then we'll be right back. Speaking of commerce, a lot has been happening with like TikTok, you know, launching their shop and I don't know. I saw some story about a guy selling a pencil on TikTok shop live or whatever. And it was like a used pencil going for a crazy amount of money. Seems like very nascent, very like experimental at this stage. But I am curious how commerce kind of is behaving for you guys on those platforms with all of the changes that are happening um, right now. Uh, Also, I think like because of the somewhat changes to like referrals off platform, like what that means for like affiliate commerce, maybe starting more holistically. How is commerce going for you guys? Yeah. I think that, you know, like many publishers, this pa- the past year, a lot of audience changes impact the commerce business. I think for us, we, we've seen a trend that's really happened the last year plus that our audience are really focused on some of those key retail holidays, Prime Day, Way Day, Nordstrom Anniversary Sale, 
that the shoppers are really organizing around those specific days. They're, they're planning better. They're being much more methodical and scientific about those in ways that we've never seen before. So our team is really focusing and doubling down on those types of holidays. And in return, those are obviously important affiliate relationships as well. So we know it's important and we're seeing success on our audience end. And then it's obviously important for that affiliate revenue relationship as well. That's more on the dot-com side. I think from the social perspective, you mentioned TikTok Shop, and it's definitely a new product and a new arena out there. We are a TikTok Shop partner, and, and we're exploring and experimenting there. I think that we're, we're definitely seeing some success. It, it's very much in its learning phase, specifically on our At Recipes brand. We've seen some success with selling some very TikTok-like kitchen gadgets, and that's been interesting to watch. I, I don't think it's going to represent, you know, a massive revenue opportunity in the short term, but it's definitely allowing us to understand that audience a bit more. It's allowing us to, again, gain other insights that potentially can apply to other parts of our business. So it's one we're excited about. We're excited to be part of that with TikTok and that journey, but very, very new. Yeah. This is on me definitely for removing TikTok from my life and not actively like testing it out. But I am curious, like for our listeners who maybe also aren't familiar yet with like what TikTok shop is, what does it look like if like at recipes is selling something there? Like, is it live video? Is it just like a roundup of, you know, these are some great products that we like, like what's the kind of user experience and then also, you know, like brand experience too. Yeah, it's a mix. The live experience piece is obviously one that, you know, has been a big focus. And I think that we're seeing a lot of success in the marketplace. That has been not as a big priority yet, one that I think we'll continue to sort of explore. I think that the other big focus, just that frictionless experience that TikTok is allowing. So there's a limited number of partners that they have brought on that actually create this frictionless experience where you're watching a recipe video using an amazing salad chopper that's making a recipe really simplistic and easy to do, and then being able to click directly through that video and actually transact and buy that salad chopper. So that frictionless experience that they're bringing right into the platform, you don't have to leave your beloved TikTok recipe video that you're watching and be able to transact directly there. So that's the majority of where we're focusing on, where we're creating relevant content on our channels, specifically that recipes and how we're able to link out directly from that video onto the corresponding products that our creators are adding in there. And is it like an affiliate, like a commission model for you guys? Or like, what's the kind of revenue piece of it right now? It is. It is a commission revenue part as well. And, and like we said, I mean, it's it's very new. But I think that what we're really learning, again, is these consumer behaviors are happening on the platform. You know, what works? How do we create another video that might do better? And really sort of understanding some of those metrics. So it's definitely new and exciting. And, and I'm sure we'll have more to come on that front. But um, exciting on the overall. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is fascinating because it's like live shopping has been talked about for definitely over a year. I want to say like maybe closer to two years from like U.S. publishers that I've been speaking with. And the degree of experimentation has really like ebbed and flowed as well. I think largely because there hasn't been like a solid kind of platform dedicated to it yet or like a intentional place for consumers to really be experimenting unless you're kind of like – on Amazon's like live shop feature or, you know, your, I don't even know where else. I think like network would do some stuff too, but like 
it seems to be so, or it had been so segmented. So I'm really fascinated to see like what the experiments that publishers take are this year now that TikTok has dedicated a spot for it that already has a pretty inherently large audience. Um, so definitely something to circle back on. Um, but I guess, so we touched on like the commerce piece of social. I think I want to get back into like the influencer creator network piece of your business too and how that's been going and your kind of strategy for it in 2024 as well. Because I have spoke with a few publishers who had experimented with this piece of a business, having some degree of like a creator program or network. And it seems to kind of be a hit or miss situation. And some have mentioned kind of rolling back on it versus like leaning into it more. But given its tie-ins to your experiential and like how you approach social, I guess, what is your kind of focus for having like an influencer network and the way it kind of sits in your business, if it's something that you're looking to grow, looking to really kind of, I don't know, invest more in this year, or if it's just always kind of been a core piece of your experiments in other platforms. Yeah. Influencer has always been a core part of our business, but it's definitely a big growth channel for us. I think we saw almost 20% revenue growth last year on our influencer business and will continue to be, I think, we executed almost 500 influencer programs in 2023, and that's divorced of even the experiential business. I think for us, when we think about influencers, and it's in a lot of different ways, right? The, the space is changing. You know, we're totally agnostic. We we can work with any influencers. I think that that's important to know. And I think when we think about influencers, it's it's doing, you know, ambassadorships and talent partnerships, whether that's year-long or months-long with partners, or that's, again, infusing that world into our experiential business. It's using and mining insights and understanding sort of what's happening as we know that consumers and influencers and creators are really set, setting culture. So us using that portfolio as an insights engine. And then I think most importantly is, is we're building products on our influencers. I think we're thinking about... How do you actually build products on influencers? This past year, we built one of the most successful revenue-driving products for using our influencer business, and that was a product that we designed that included our influencers, our publisher credibility, and then leaning into some of the social features like green screen that, were, that we saw as such a big success and being prioritized on the algorithm. And we put all of those tenants together and created this content flywheel. We saw such amazing results for some of our partners. So I think when we think about influencers, we don't want to think about them as a vacuum, but we want to think about how do we really create them as a media channel and build products around influencers so that the product works much more than just being a standalone influencer one-off program. And that really gets, again, with practice and being really deeply invested in this business. And we're able to do that because of our large team. We have a, a really significant amount of people that are dedicated to sourcing and understanding who is that emerging, who is that really already named influencer, and then being able to really architect the right partnership and approach. What's an example of like one of the products that um, you created in the past year that is, again, like tying in those tenants, but like really kind of focusing on like maximizing, you know, your access to these influencers? Yeah. So the product that I described is one that we call Hype. And really the idea is it's a couple different insights. One is we're, we're helping really hype up a brand moment. And it's also an acronym because we love an acronym. It's headline your product. 
And really what that is, is what happens is we lean into one of our publishers, we create a very intentional headline that is architected to really spark a moment with a consumer. It's meant to really design around um, an intentional headline about a product, a launch, something that's newsworthy. And then what we'll do is we'll launch that article on one of our publishers, say PureWow, And then what we'll do is we'll cast a whole team of influencers that are green screening that article, that they're really saying, PureWow is announcing XYZ beauty product is launched. I'm going to go out and validate and really try this product. We've seen this right in our algorithm where influencers are green screening news, almost really acting like they're reporting on the news. That really is this perfect content flywheel where we're leaning into our headline-driven publishers and really architecting this newsworthy moment for brands. And then we're also really having influencers pointing and really leaning into that news and really validating that. So that's this whole sort of four-step process of us combining that. And we have done, you know, a a significant amount of those partnerships this past year and will continue to do so. And again, I think it goes back to we were able to create this content flywheel because we understood really deeply of what's happening on social, like the green screen effect. And and I think we'll determine what's the next feature that's going to blow up. And then being able to combine those tenants together allowed us to create this really meaningful content flywheel for our partners. Yeah. And what are the, I guess, partners or clients or, you know, it sounds like it's a very like kind of bottom of the funnel, like product focused campaign, right? Like very focused on like the transaction piece of it. Or is there the opportunity to use this on like a larger like brand awareness um, end of things too. Like I'm, I'm curious like what the kind of goals are for the sponsors who come to you or the, the advertisers who come to you with this product to me things like, you know, very transaction focused, but is there larger applications for it or are you seeing just a real appetite for like that bottom of the funnel product buying goal? Yeah, the opposite actually. I think the way we're designing okay. this is really for mid to upper funnel awareness. I think that you know, we're really hoping to sort of redefine, you know, what does social meets PR in this model. So it's really designed around brands that are looking to make noise for a new launch. They're looking to make news about something that they're announcing, whether that's an initiative or that's something that's important from a marketing standpoint, or they want us to help create news for them. They might not actually have a new launch, but they want to really be in that sort of headline reading consumption pattern that we've all been in from a social perspective. So it's really leaning into a lot of those consumer insights and then building out this product. That's fascinating. Okay, interesting. I guess like I also want to ask you um, about the types of advertisers that you're working with and if there have been any changes in either the like categories that are operating here, you know, who's coming to you asking about social specific or, um, because, you know, we, we touched on experiential quite a bit, but I am curious about like the clientele that you're drawing in from this. Like, is there any changes in like the categories that you're operating in or like the, the types of clients that are activating with you in the past year and this year? Yeah. I, you know, our three biggest categories are Retail, beauty, and CPG. We saw, you know, those continue to grow year over year. I think there's other categories that we saw bright spots in two in 23 into mm-hmm. next year, such as auto. That's been a category that oh, we, we've been excited about um, in many parts of our business, specifically even with experiential. BMW has been a great partner of ours the last two houses and, and, and will be on that with us. So we definitely have seen 
growth in our three top categories. But then specifically auto has been a category that we've nearly doubled since uh, 22 into 23 and one that, you know, we're excited about, especially given that category, I think for, you know, the the latter part of the years has had some, um, you know, challenges and so forth. Auto is one I've been hearing like literally across the board, like from, you know, you guys, which is more like the consumer kind of focus to all the way to like some of the very professional kind of corporate oriented brands like auto is definitely coming back with quite a vengeance. Fascinating. Okay. So I guess like as you're looking ahead into 2024 or this year, because I keep forgetting that we've actually started it. um, (laughs) What are some of the other things that you're excited about or areas that you're looking to double down in? um, Whether it's like on the sponsorship side or like leaning more into like the, the commerce affiliate revenue or experiential. I know we talked about all those three, things. But like, what are some of the biggest areas of opportunity considering how stressed the market has been in the past year or so? Um, I think there is a lot of opportunities for excitement and, you know, having a opportunistic mindset. But I'm curious, like what you're keeping your eye on or what you think is like um, a good growth opportunity in 2024. Yeah. The sentiment this time this year feels so much different than last year. I think there's a lot of excitement in the industry. People feel excited to kind of turn the page of 2023. So that's something that we're very excited about. I think that, you know, we've obviously talked a lot about experiential. We'll we'll continue to lean into that in a big way. I think when we think about our wide social portfolio, we'll really double down in the three focuses and really build out deeper franchises across at moms and at cocktails and at recipes and, and continue to really treat those like meaningful brands on social. And then I think that we'll continue to invest in our publishers like PureWow and 137PM. 137PM has done an amazing job of really focusing on that emerging space and really thinking about what's next We did some amazing work with Ben Johns, the number one pickleball player in the world this past year. We've been covering that sport since the explosion of it. So we'll continue to sort of deep dive on these really emerging subculture topics on 137 that I'm excited about to bring that to market. And on the PureWell side as well, we launched a whole digital issues strategy and something that we saw a lot of success in 23 with. That's a big investment that we'll be focusing on of um, what does that look like for sponsorship opportunities and and where we can bring partners into those digital issues that make sense. Yeah. And you mentioned, I think, both your influencer business and your events business growing last year. Do you anticipate similar like revenue growth this year and, you know, beyond like those specific businesses also around like kind of ad revenue in general? We do. I I think going back to some of the examples on the PureWell side, we've really thought through that brand in a major way using the digital issues as an example. We launched six of them this past year, and those were all really great partnerships across the board. And when I say digital issues, you know, you've seen this, I'm sure, across the industry, a lot of publishers launching these magazine-like experiences, having big celebrities, Mm -hmm. um, profile pieces. For us, We wanted to take a different approach to that and how do we really focus on this narrow subculture topic that we know is exploding and really how people are consuming content on social. So we created these whole digital issues that go very narrow on different topics, whether that be about sleep, going super deep on sleep and bringing in Mm -hmm. a mattress partner. Or we just ended the holiday season and we went really deep on cookies and less around 
you know, a general entertaining topic. So really that's been a big focus on, on the pure wow side of the thing, of the house of how we're going to really go on these niche narrow topics that yeah. we, we know that's how culture is consuming and then figuring out what brands make sense to intersect with those conversations. And that is another trend I was covering at the end of last year about kind of the shift away from very general, broad, scaled kind of plays to getting back more into those niche like moments that a publisher can own and finding ways to translate that to an advertiser and get them to, you know, latch onto that. And it seemed to be working at the end of last year and like a, a trend to, to watch this year as, t- as well. Um, amazing. That, I guess, brings us to the end of the conversation. I just looked at the clock and we are closing in on 45 minutes. So thank you, Chris, so much for taking the time to join me. Also walking me through what the hell is going on with TikTok Shop Live, because that is a very new concept for me that I have to experiment with myself. But um, yeah, super fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caleb. We're always happy at Gallery to give you any insight on the social front. So thank you so much for having me. (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it.